So we've been looking uh, the last few weeks at the uh, Old Testament prophet Jonah. Uh, God comes to Jonah, calls him to go to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, to preach, and uh, Nineveh, uh, Jonah decides he doesn't want to do that. He goes down to Joppa, buys a ticket, gets on a ship, and now the ship is in a storm. Jonah was asleep in the front of the boat, I think the sleep of depression, and um, the captain came and woke him up, and now as we look at the text today, we'll see what happens with Jonah uh, and the, the sailors there on the boat. Uh, it's a great text, uh, a really challenging and yet comforting text, so, but before I read it, let me pray, and we'll, we'll jump in. Father, we thank you today that though we live in a world where the ground literally moves under our feet, uh, where we are hard-pressed by the effects of a virus and uh, its effect upon not only our bodies, but our souls, our hearts, our relationships, our communities. We witness um, the uh, terrible, uh, uh, hard-to-understand uh, uh, situations in our world and we wonder, uh, where is safety? Where is security? But Lord, you are a solid rock. You do not move. Uh, you are our hiding place. The Bible tells us that you are a strong tower. And we can run to you for refuge and safety. And so I pray today for us that we would take that seriously, that we would repent of our independence, that we would repent of our trust in our own gifts, our own abilities, and that we would lean in uh, to who you are and what you have done and are doing on our behalf in Jesus Christ. And so now as we look at the Bible, we pray that you would, by your Spirit, Open us up to the truth of your word. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Jonah 1, uh, 7 to 10, text is in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. And they said, these are the sailors, said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So when you have an opportunity to speak, what do you say, right? I mean, I, I think that is a, 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 a worthwhile thing for us to think about. And in fact, what do you say when the pressure's on? I used this illustration at the early service. It's a gross illustration, so I'm going to warn you about it ahead of time. Uh, that is, uh, the human heart is like a pimple. And you find out the nastiness that's in it when you put a little pressure on it. People were groaning, rolling their eyes at me at the, the, this, this morning, and that's why I love it. 
especially at nine o'clock, it's a great way to open up. And, um, but the, the reality of the situation is what comes out of your mouth by way of your heart, right? That Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart and the mouth speaks, uh, says a lot, doesn't it? Have you, do you have any regrets right now at 10, oh, at 11.03 for things that you've said today? Or things that you could have said that you didn't say? Jonah has an opportunity here to speak, to say to these sailors, to the, to the guys in the boat with him as the storm rages, as the boat is shaking and the waves are crashing and, and the wind is blowing. What are you going to say when you have an opportunity to answer these very basic questions about who you are, right? And so that's a, that's a pretty tremendous uh, thing for us to think about. We, we love questions and answers in our theological tradition. Have you ever heard of the word catechism? Do you know what a catechism is? Catechism is simply a teaching tool that you use, questions and answers, to teach and to review what the basic theology of the Bible is. It is a great tool, right? So I did a little survey of the uh, first questions of a number of catechisms uh, uh, today. So the, my favorite catechism, the children's catechism, begins with the first question, who made you? God. That's the answer. Now, you may think, oh, isn't that sweet? <laughs> yes, it is. In fact, it's one of the sweetest things you can say. Because the question is not what made you. It assumes that there's a person who loved you enough to make you, who knows you, who holds you, who is for you. Every time I'm alone with my grandson, I say to him, Rhett, who made you? Because I want him to start right there, right? What a great question. What a rich thing for us to, to get at. You know, exactly, what is your identity? Who are you? And to begin that identity with that, that great one-word answer, right? This other catechism we use, the Heidelberg Catechism, we use a lot. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I'm not my own, but belong, but belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. What are we by nature? Do you know where catechism that comes from? That's, that's uh, from the Roman Catholic Catechism, first question, right? What are we by nature? And then, of course, the most glorious question ever to be asked by a human being ever on the face of the earth, the first question from the Shorter Catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what's the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, what's so great about these questions? Not just that, you know, of course, they're religious questions and that kind of stuff, and so we, we think about them that way. But what these questions do for us, because they are the first questions, they are the, the first things out of, of, of the, uh, out of our confessional documents, they tell us this basic truth, that my identity and all of life is grounded in someone else. I didn't make myself. I didn't spring forth from the primordial soup. God made me. As I walk through this world full of earthquakes and uh, 
war and horrible things like that that happen, what, what does that tell me? My comfort and my security is rooted not in myself, but in someone else. What am I by nature? What I am I'm by nature, I am by nature what God has made me to be, and my nature is changing as he redeems me. And what is my purpose? But to reflect back to my creator and redeemer and to enjoy the great things that he has given me by virtue of my creation and his redemption of me. This swims against the current of the spirit of the age. It swims against the current of every human heart. Because I want to be independent. Because I want to call the shots. Because I want to be the measure of my life. I want to be the measure of what is important. I am the central part. I establish my path. I find my way in the world. I am the one that's accountable to myself. I, I belong to myself. And so what we say and where we begin with these questions is essential to who we are, how we think about ourselves, how we think about the world in which we live. And so, so, the, so the fact of the matter is, you know, Christians can kind of send around and say, oh yeah, those people out there, they, that's how they think. Except we want to go our own way too, don't we? We, we, wanted to, we, we, we believe that, that uh, uh, you know, our own way and what we are accountable to is, is, is what matters. And so what, what drives that for us is the fact that because it's, it's about me and because of wh- who I am and what I want, it's about my security, my comfort, my ease, and my favorite, my convenience. But that's what I'm about in life. And that this God that I have, that his job is to do those things for me. But in fact, what the Bible tells us, what the gospel tells us, what, 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 what even our creation and our own bodies and our lives tell us, even, even failingly tell us, is you're not who you think you are. You're who God thinks you are. Now, we may hear that and we may think, well, that is, that is just, you know, I don't, I don't really like that because it seems like that's, that's bad news. But this God who thinks of you, loves you, knows you, adores you, redeems you, knows your sin, knows your brokenness, knows your story, and he enters into that story for you and with you and secures you forever. One of the ways that I know that we are, are bound up in ourselves is if you ask, if you're out and, and, and about and you talk to people, you know, one of, one of the things that we find out about people is that, um, and ourselves is that I, I the, you know, I'm, I find my, myself and my own needs and my own life so compelling. Nothing's quite so compelling as that guy I see in the mirror. Now, I don't look in the mirror that much because I don't have to, you know, no hair to comb, no, you know, no makeup to put on, none of that stuff. So I don't, I don't do that very often. I shave in the shower. I don't have a, I don't have a mirror in there. So just around the edges. I was at a store yesterday and I, I'm trying, working really hard not to get the identity of the cranky old man. But uh, one of the things that the pandemic has done is made me so on hair trigger about poor customer service 
my kids won't go in the store with me. And I, um, I was at a store yesterday handling a situation for one of my kids because he's not able to. And uh, the, the people that were working there said, now, why are you having to do this? And I just said, well, have you been watching the news? And, and one person said, oh, I don't ever watch the news. I want to be happy. So I only, I don't do that because I want to stay happy. What's going on? And the other guy who was working there is like, my life is so hard. My personal problems are so great. I don't want to think about anybody else's. Well, God loves an honest man, you know. <laughs> I thought, well, yeah. So, well, I'm not going to answer your questions about what's going on. But I just thought, so much of our lives, right, so much of the way we think about ourselves is simply bound up in how we think about ourselves. Jonah's in trouble. The sailors are in trouble. The ship is rocking. The waves are breaking. The wind is howling. And these sailors are smart enough and experienced enough to know that this is not your typical storm. This is not one that's just going to pass away. In fact, they have a sense, as we've seen, as they've all cried out to their God, that there's some wrath, that there's some anger, that there's, there's some intensity in this storm that they're not used to. And, and so they recognize, wow, there, there must be something divine or some, some sort of uh, supernatural force at work here. So as we said last week, th th they have the right instinct. Turn to their God, ask their God, we need help. We're stuck. We're going to die if you don't do something. And there's Jonah asleep. The captain goes and wakes him up and says, you know, you need to cry out to your God. Jonah never does, never does in the ship. And so what happens, they're like, well, somebody's responsible for this, so they cast lots. Now, you may think that's a very odd way to determine something like this. I don't know. If there's a God, he's in the lot, maybe casting lots sometimes to make decisions is not, not such a terrible way to make a decision. I'm not going to tell you to do that, but... I. You know, we, we, we modern folks, you know, I, I drive down 95 and I see the sign for a VCU on decision analytics. I can only imagine what that is, right? Uh, the decision analytics. Well, their decision analytics is there's a God, we're going to cast the lots, and that's going to tell us what we need to know, right? When the wind's howling and the ship's about to go down, that's a pretty good way to make a decision. We don't have time to make a spreadsheet about who's responsible. God, tell us who, what do we need to do? So they do that. It falls on Jonah. And so immediately the sailors go to him, well, we're in trouble. We need to know what your deal is, right? And so what do we, what do we see that they do? They look at him. They said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? What people are you? They don't know anything about him. They're like, hey, you get, tell us what's going on here, dude. You know, be, tell, us, tell us exactly what's happening. And his response to them is, um, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Next slide. Um, so what do, we, what do we note about this? Well, a couple of things to note about Jonah's answer. Their first question is, what's your occupation? What do you do? What's your mission in life? He never answers that question. 
He doesn't say, I'm a prophet of God. Now, remember, we talked about Jonah a few weeks ago. Jonah's famous. He is well known. He is, he's mentioned there in 2 Kings of, of prophesying that the, the uh, nation of Israel would expand its borders and that, that God would bless them, even though Jeroboam, the king, is, is a terrible king. So he never says, I'm a prophet. For whatever reason, he knows, I think, that his own disobedience, his own willfulness, his own, his own anger, his own bitterness at the God that he is called to serve, that he's kind of disqualified himself from being able to speak for him. So what does he say? What question does he answer, right? He says, I'm a Hebrew. And as a result of that, I serve the God who made the sea and the dry land. It's an important question, isn't it? His identity is first and foremost in his mind in a pressurized situation on his ethnicity and where he comes from that drives his faith. For years, for four years, I lived in the Deep South back in the 80s. And uh, it was not uncommon to, you know, I was to, to go and speak to people uh, uh, and try to talk to them about the gospel. And it's, it, in 1983, it was almost impossible to find someone in Mississippi, particularly rural Mississippi, who didn't say they were a Christian. Or do you know Jesus? Are you a Christian? I go to First Baptist. I'm an American. Literally. It's all the same, right? And we, were, we, we even had the, 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 the delightful thing. We, um, uh, we had a lot of folks at, at our seminary who were from a certain part of the country that has been that had been settled by people from a particular nation in Europe, uh, and so when you go to this part of the country in the Midwest, you find people who, uh, because they're Dutch, they identify as Christians. Or my favorite, you know, Lake Wobegon days, if you, if you uh, hear Garrison Keeler, he's not wrong. There are other places like in Minnesota, North and South uh, Dakota, where you go there, and if you look in the phone book, well, do you know what a phone book is? Sorry. If you look, on, if you look in, in the internet and you're trying to figure out churches, there is, there is nothing but Lutheran churches. One after another, St. Olaf. I love that name, Olaf, right? So, so, you, so you read that, and, and, and you talk to those people, and they're like, well, are, are you a Christian? Well, my, my parents, my grandparents came from Sweden or Norway. They're Lutheran. Yeah, of course. And so we hear this, and we're horrified by that, right? That we think, oh, that, that's, that's never true. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is your identity is downstream from something. right? You get your identity from something else. Now, you may say, no, I don't. I get it from myself. Listen, listen. If you are, are, will agree with me that you're created by God, the one thing that's true about every single person who's ever lived is that you're created in the image of God. 
Every one of us created in the image of God. Every single human who's ever lived created in the image of God. That's where we get our, our, our belief in the absolute dignity and worth and value of every human. Absolutely, that's true. But one of the things you have to see about that is if you're created in the image of something, you're a reflection of that thing. Do you see that? To be, to be created in the image of something means you were created to look like something else, to reflect something else. Now, what happens to us is that, that, we, that, that truth about us gets distorted and we make that image something else. And so we reflect all sorts of other things, all sorts of other beings, all sorts of other, uh, other gods, other idols, those sorts of things, right? That happens, that happens all the time. Are you a Christian? Well, of course I am. I'm a Republican, right? See, what, what, where you start up here, where, where you think about who, who you know, these, these things, where you get your identity from, that, 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 that stuff up here really matters. When we say who made you, God. When we say what's your only comfort in life and in death, that I'm not my own, but belong body and soul to Jesus Christ. Those are key issues. Those are identity issues. Those, those things are not just theological words that we throw around. That's life. And that shapes how you think about yourself. That shapes how you think and confront the storms in your life. That shapes how you deal with the issues that come your way. You're in a ship that's about to go down. What are you thinking about? Who, what matters to you? What, who am I in this moment? And so what happens to us is, is that we create this image that we think that we have to reflect, whether it's my success or whether it's my reputation or whether it's my parenting or whether it's my marriage or whether it's my, my, uh, my bank account or my friends or whatever. And that is so brittle. That is so easily shifted and broken. So that it is no wonder that, that we, are, we are so uneasy and so insecure and so afraid. You should be afraid if that's your identity. You should be. You should be terrified because it can be gone like that. It should terrify you. You should feel insecure. If you feel insecure today, that's the mercy of God. It's the mercy of God because God has an identity for you that never changes. God has a place for you of absolute security and certainty. God has a place for you, even if you're in the ship, and even if the ship goes down, that you're safe, that you're secure, that you belong. You see, that's the wonder of the gospel, that Jesus did not die for you, did not live for you, did not rise again for you, just to get your sins forgiven. He did that. Jesus lived for you, died for you, rose again for you, not just so that you could get righteousness. He did that. But he did it to give you an identity, to reestablish the reflection of who made you and now who has entered into your world like you, taking on your flesh so that you can be certain in a fallen and broken world, I am safe I am secure, I am set free from shame, I am set free from brokenness, because Jesus Christ is where my identity comes from. He says he loves me, he says I belong to him, he knows my sin, he understands what's true of me, and that is where I rest. 
you can see why insecure people may, are, are terrible at loving other people. You can see why uns, unsafe, ashamed people fail to be able to love because we're banking our lives upon these things that, that break in a second, that are here today and gone tomorrow. That's the way the world is. And so when we rest our hearts and our lives in something that is unchanging, certain, sure, warm, brotherly, kind, gentle, powerful, then that shapes and redirects the way I think about myself. That shapes and redirects my ability, and and it makes me free now to be able to extend myself in love to those with whom I differ. One of the reasons why we fight so much, one of the reasons why we're angry all the time, is because what we, we're basically insecure people who, who are resting our hearts and our lives on these things that are here today, that are gone tomorrow, that even if you really got down to it, we're not that sure about. But the gospel, Jesus gives you his name that can never change. You can't be snatched out of his hand. And so in the midst of the storms of life, in the midst of the brokenness of life, this, this is what... This, this, is, this, this is where the rubber meets the road. Listen, when you're in a storm, it doesn't matter whether you're an American or not. Not really. That's good. And maybe if you can get to the embassy, you can get out of the country. But what if you can't? Jesus never leaves you or forsakes you, and he will see you through to the end. One of the things that I think is a besetting sin for our particular culture and our particular way of dealing with things in the world is we are ruled by shame because we have given our lives to our reputation. We have given our lives to people thinking that we are a certain way, that we're successful as married people, that we're successful as parents, that we're successful as business people, that we're successful as Uh, arbiters of the culture, that we're successful in all these ways. And if you are successful today, be grateful for that. But one of the blessings and maybe one of the long-term things that will come out of this pandemic is, is exposed so much of where we get our identity from has gone up in flames. That's good. For years, I have prayed that God would pry our fingers off of these things that we cling to so much. Maybe he's doing that. It's painful, it's difficult, it's irritating, and certainly my favorite, as inconvenient as it is, maybe that's a good thing. Oh, it's not maybe. It is a good thing. If you're in Jesus today, you're safe, even as the boat rocks. If you, are, if you are, get your sense of who you are from this one who loves you, who died for you, rose again for you, who owns you, who will see you through to the end, you can rest. You can rest. You can love. You're free. Because that's what, what, that's what, 
That's what this identity is. And so it's such a powerful thing, right, that when, when Jonah answers this question, right, he says the men uh, were terrified because they knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Yeah, this God out there, he made the sea and he made the land. He's a big deal and I'm running from him because I don't want to do, I don't want to preach to those that I deem my enemies. His grace is too big. His love is too profound. Who are you? Right? And if you lost today your identity as a success, if you lost today your identity as whatever you think of yourself as, could you make it? That's the great thing about the Gospels, because Jesus knows that about us. He sees that in us, and that's why he bears with us. That's why he bears with Jonah. That's why he continues with people like us, and that's why we so often seek and get who we are from the wrong thing, and yet he continues to pursue and to love and to pour out his patience upon us. It's good. Get your security from someone who is secure. Let me pray. Lord, we need help with this today. Thanks so much for this great story. I pray that you would uh, bless us. Lord, forgive us for identifying ourselves as first and foremost as something other than your people, created in your image, redeemed by your Son. Lord, so simple, and yet so difficult to take you at your word. Help us. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for your patience. Thanks for your grace. Lord, and dare I say, thanks for rocking the boat. Help us today, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, let's uh, confess our sins together by using this confession that's uh, in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. Would you pray with me? Almighty and merciful Father, you have called us to be your desired followers and have made us one family. Yet we have not lived as one. We have not loved you and one another as you command. We have been fascinated with ourselves and, and fail to, to believe we have, we have encouragement in Christ, comfort, comfort from love, and participation in the Spirit. We have not treated one another as those who belong to Jesus Christ, having the same mind, same love, and enjoying full accord. Forgive us for our sins against you and our neighbor. By the power of your Holy Spirit, Make us a church that is eager to do your will and walk in your ways through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. But he, that is Jesus Christ, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all.